You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Come on, y'all. Good morning. God is good. And all the time. Oh, it is really great to be in worship with you this morning. Happy 2024. We're going to have a great year together. Amen? And we are going to start where God started, Genesis chapter 1. So the best way to engage the message is with your Bible and something to write with. You can pull your Bible out and turn to page 1. Doesn't that sound just like a teacher? That, was, I, that, that instills actually feelings of sickness in my stomach because it's like, oh, Gosh, we've got to get through this whole big book. But no, just turn to page one. This is good news. This is good news, people. And, um, but, but I want to ask you to pay attention to the screen because we're going to read this first chapter interactively. And let's just start where God starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's how the story begins. And I'm going to read through the whole chapter with you. You're going to notice that there's a rhythm to this chapter, almost like poetry. And in each little paragraph of creation, I can hear a prayer form. In this first segment, the earth was formless and empty. The Hebrew is more accurately wasted and wild. (laughs) Talk about the other life. Um, Chaos. Darkness was over the face of the deep, but God was there. And when I read that, I want to pray, and I want to invite you to pray together with me what's on the screen. Thank you, God, for being present even in the chaos and for making meaning out of emptiness. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for bringing light into the darkness so I can know what is true. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And so we pray, thank you, God, for atmosphere and gravity, and for the 95% of the universe I cannot see that is as real as what I can see. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And so we pray. Thank you, God, for water that breeds life and recreation and that reminds us of how big you are. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. 
Thank you, God, for trees and fruit and seeds that feed our bodies and for the ways that what the wilderness feeds our souls. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them across the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Thank you, God, for sunshine and blue skies and also for deep nights with moons and stars to comfort our rest. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Thank you, God, for birds and fish and things that move gracefully through your creation and help us to feel the freedom of existence in this world. <clears throat> and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Thank you, God, for animals, all of them, the ones whose names we know and the ones who live in the wild and make this world so interesting. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Thank you, God, for my life. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Thank you, God, for the good work of stewardship. Make us faithful to that work and to your work. God saw all he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. 
Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished all the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Thank you, God, for resting and for teaching us to live from a place of rest. Amen. Isn't it beautiful, this story of creation? And this is how it's best read, as art and prayer and truth. Where we get it wrong when we read this account of creation is when we try to fit it into our contemporary literary forms. We want it to be a history book or a science book or, if you're on the liberal end of things, a novel. We ask this account of creation to teach us things, to answer things it was never designed to answer. We want it to answer the how question or the what question or the when question, but it's not designed to answer any of those questions, at least not in, a, not in the way that our contemporary science books and, and history books are written. What the creation story gives us are answers to the bigger questions, the why and the who. It's an account from the heart of God himself of why we are here and who we are in relation to the one who made us. So, so this, what we just read, is poetry, but it's truth and it's clarity and it's vision. And it told its first audience not just who they were, but who they were not. So let's start with that first line. Just five words. In the beginning, God created. Those five words tell us that before anything else, God was. And not just that he existed, but that he alone is creator of everything else. He came first. You know how it is when you're a little kid and you're trying to, you're fighting over who's going to do whatever in the car or, you know, sit in whatever seat. I was here what? I was here first. Well, those first five words, you know what God is saying to you? I was here first. <laughs> and fundamental to his nature is that he creates. The very first thing that God wants us to understand about himself is that he is the creator of heaven and earth. Nothing exists that he didn't make. God creates. That's what he does. And listen, this is good news for us. In those moments when we think it's all over and that we've had our last good day or that the ship is sinking and we're going down with it, this opening line of scripture becomes a powerful word of hope. Where I see hopelessness, God sees possibility. Where I've come to the end of all my good ideas, God is just getting started. Where I see death or destruction or decay, God sees potential for new life, beauty from ashes. When God speaks, things happen. Light appears. Time is established. Waters part. Life is formed. Truth is spoken. Forgiveness is offered. Slates wiped clean. Grace and mercy, justice and goodness are established. The, the enemy of our souls is death and destruction, but the creator of our lives is life and breath and hope and future. Thanks be to God. 
So the book of Genesis tells us who created the heavens and the earth. And by the very complexity and order of it, we come to understand that this creator is not just some unmoved mover, but a caring and intimately involved parent. He made us and he loves us. So Genesis tells us who the creator is, what his nature is, and how he relates to his creation. And so that's where we're going to begin this year. We're going to start where God starts, at the very beginning of God's story, so we can come to understand this God who made us and how he would have us live. We will talk about original design and fallen humanity, fallen human nature. We'll talk about the garden of God and the tragedy of exile, about covenant and rebellion, grace and blessing, the limits of independence and the blessing of holy relationship. And it all begins with those first five words, in the beginning, God created. That's Genesis. Words that remind us we're not here by accident and we are not what? We're not first. We're not first. God is. So I want you to hold that thought. We'll come back to it. If you're looking at your Bible, I want you to notice the three words that begin verses 3 and 6 and 11 and 14 and 20 and 24. What are the first three words of any of those verses? And God said, that's right. So what do these three words teach us about how things are created? What do they teach us? When God speaks, that's right. When, first we learn that, that, that God, when God speaks, things happen. Everything is created by the will and the word of God. God speaks and things exist. And we know from the Gospel of John that it, it, this is the very first words of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So was the word, is the word a, a, a vocabulary word, or is the word a person? It's a he, John says. Who is that he? It's Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God's word is not just so much breath and vocabulary. It, like everything else, has substance and life. The word that was with God is Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is not God's plan B that we find like a character introduced way down the line in a Bible or in a book, in a novel. No, he's been here all along. The Father designs, we hear it in the first paragraph. The Father designs, the Spirit hovers, the Word speaks. What does that sound like? That sounds like the Trinity, exactly. And that ends up being life to us. It means that when God speaks, it is Jesus we encounter. Like the commercial says, Jesus gets us. 
He knows our pain and he has the power to change the effect of the enemy's lies. So while the enemy speaks only death and destruction, Jesus speaks truth and healing and life. Jesus can speak into a moment of rejection and what he speaks is not just feel-good encouragement. He has power to create more than just a good mood. He has power to create a new reality. The other thing that's important to notice about these words, and God said, is what they would have meant to an ancient world in love with idols. I want to give credit to Sandra Richter about this, who talks about the ancient world's love affair with idols. There was this intricate process to the creation of an idol, and I have to tell you that even she, was, she teaches about how the ancients made idols, but I have a friend who's Hindu, and he was telling me one day about how Hindus make idols and is virtually unchanged from the very beginning. The way they do it is they, 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 it involves finding, and I'm just going to give you the short end of it. It involves finding the right stone, maybe a tree, but usually a stone, and carving out the right piece of it so it looked like something divine. And then they would let that sit until some glimmer of sun or something shone on it in such a way that some priest would just magically declare it alive. And, and then, once they declare it alive, they would do with it, uh, the, the, the Hebrew word is mispi. It's the same thing that you do to a baby when a baby just is birthed. You clean out its mouth and, its, and you clean the mucus out of its nose and eyes. They would do this to this stone idol. And then they would take all the tools they used to make the idol, um, to clean it out. They would kill a lamb, put the, put the instruments inside the lamb, throw it in the, um, in the water, in the river, ritually, not for real, but ritually cut off the carver's hands as if it never got made. As if this idol just magically appeared. And then they would set it in a temple and they would... Worship it, and by sheer denial, they would not think through to the possibility that the thing they made was no greater than the people who made it, no more alive than the stone it was carved from. Into that world, the writer of Genesis writes, God said. You hear what I'm saying? Which is to say that when our God speaks, he made the stone you've just chipped away at to make your idol. When our God speaks, he makes the light you look for to proclaim your idol alive. When our God speaks, he makes the hands that do the carving. He makes the one in his image who is making those images of a God who has power to do nothing but sit there and stare. Come on, y'all. Humans don't make gods. God makes humans. And the God who made us is Lord. He came first. And he still asks every day, am I first in your life or second? Jesus, the one who spoke you into being, who speaks into being all that you have, is Lord, and there is no other God. He is Lord. That's the gospel. Jesus is Lord. I am not. 
You are not, that stone is not, your bank account is not, democracy is not, death is not, Jesus is. The Word made flesh, life and light and truth itself, who spoke this earth and everything into being. Thanks be to God who creates us. One of the more famous lines in this creation story is this one, let there be light. I want to notice with you that verse 3, where this command happens, isn't there. That's not where the sun and moon are created. Have you ever noticed that? This is day one. The sun and moon happen on the fourth day. So there was light before there was a sun. Have you ever thought about that? Or that it might be important to notice. It strikes me as important, and I'll tell you why. You know how it is when you walk into a dark room before your eyes have a chance to adjust? Especially when you're a kid, the shadows of things look scary. When you're a kid and you walk into a dark room, those shadows look like monsters, right? When you're old, things don't look scary, but you run into stuff and make bruises that take a year to heal. Even if the thing has been there for the last 30 years, you still run into it and ask, why did it move to that spot? But light gives perspective and clarity and helps us to know what is true. And light in the creation story has substance related to the word. John tells us, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world from day one. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But those who live by the truth come into the light so it can be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. In other words, those who come into the light don't want to get their shins banged up by their sins. I just made that up just now, but shin and sin, they, 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 they rhyme. And we're going to make something out of that. <clears throat> What John says is really just an unpacking of what we learn in Genesis 1. Everything is under the gaze of our Creator, illuminated by the light of God. Not to create shame, not to create shame, not to create shame. We created that ourselves in Genesis 3. We'll talk about that next week. But to create the conditions for grace to flow. So let there be light is a reminder that God sees and God knows and those who choose to live in that light can live in grace. Well, there's so much I want to say to you about the the, the six days. The first six days, God creates environments. And the, uh, sorry, the first three days, God creates environments. And the second three days, he creates things to inhabit those environments. But I want you to skip over to verse 27. This is where we show up. In the image of God, he created them. Them refers to us. This is us, male and female. God made our physical bodies. And in some supernatural way, these bodies reflect his own design. 
So the first creation story emphasizes the nature of our design and the right relationship between men and women. The second creation story in Genesis 2, it's not a contradictory story, it just complements. It tells a different uh, facet of the story. The second um, creation story in Genesis goes further to emphasize the unity of man and woman. There's a call inherent in this story, an invitation into a relational blessing. It's a beautiful image of mutual servanthood. The woman comes out of the man to give him companionship. The man comes out of his childhood home to give her companionship. So there's this, way, uh, this very deep sense of interrelatedness. And there's a clear sense from the creation story of God's intentions for men and women to populate the earth and to give us to each other for companionship. We were made for relationship. Both within marriage and within community, we are made for relationship. Amen. And it's the combination of the two, male and female, that reflects the image of God. Theographic is the word that Phyllis Kaiser uses to describe our identity as made in the image of God. Theo in the Greek means God. Graphos means to write. So we are written by God. <coughs> Excuse me. Our identities are written by God. So our purpose, so let me just say that again. Our identities are written by God. Which is to say, you don't get to write your own identity. God writes it. Who's first? He's first. So our purpose, our identity, is stamped into every cell of our bodies. We are who he says we are. And this is not just good theology. It's good biology. Every cell in our bodies really is marked with our <coughs> uniqueness. I'm sorry, y'all. Here's what happened. Last night, I went to Ann Wilson, that, the concert, Ann Wilson. Oh, my goodness, y'all. It was, was really, were you there? It was really good. It was really good. Y'all need to look her up. It's Christian country, which you might not have thought I would love, but it turns out I really love it. And um, she was just good, and I sang really loud, which I don't usually do on Saturday night, so you got what you got today. <clears throat> this is our creation story, our call, <clears throat> our identity. We are not first. God is. Amen. And we don't make gods to our own liking. God made us. And God gives us good work. God blessed them, it says, Genesis 1, 28, 29. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So that's their work, our work to steward the rest of creation. And God saw that it was good. What God has created, what he creates today is good because God is good. God is is good. Creation is fundamentally good because it comes from the heart of a fundamentally good father. James tells us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And every time we do something good, we participate with God in generating goodness and bringing the earth back to its created design. 
So how am I generating in my life that creative goodness? How is this creative power at work in my healing, in my relationships, in, in, in the restoration of the world to himself? So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Rest for God was completion, not weariness. You need to write that down. Rest for God was completion, not weariness. At the end of creation, God rested, and now we live inside his rest, which means the first thing we did as creatures was to take a day off with God. How awesome is that? Not because he was tired, not because he was falling into bed exhausted or asking you to give him just 10 minutes, just give me 10 minutes, but because that's what he called whole, holy, and good. Rest is whole, holy, and good. The image that comes to my mind is the image of a baby being born, not of an idol being made, but of a baby being born, the breath of life breathed into its being. And then it's handed right over to its mama, who lays that baby on her chest. So the first thing that baby hears, the first thing that baby hears is a mama's heartbeat. And then a mama's voice. And the whole job of that baby is to listen and rest and attach. That's it. Listen, rest, and attach. John exclaims, behold how wonderful is the love the Father has given to us so we can be called children of God, laying on his chest, listening, resting, attaching to the Father's heart. How great is the love of the Father for us. So deep and intimate is our relationship to him through Christ that Christ encourages us to call God Abba, yeah. which means Father, the affectionate Aramaic word for Father. That's a term of deep affection and intimacy. Jesus tells us our eternal home is in the house of his Father and our Father. And we can rest there. So here's your question. Can you rest? Can you rest in what has been created for your good? This is where we wrestle with creation. We, we wrestle because we want to make ourselves, our bodies, into an idol. We, we want to change who God has said we were supposed to be. We, we, we wrestle with overwork and with making, and, and with, we, we wrestle with our own anxieties and with our own fears. And so we're the ones falling into bed at night, exhausted. And we're the ones who say, okay, I will give God everything that's left over when I finally get everything together. We want to be the completion. 
We want, to, we, want, we, want, we want to complete everything, get it all right, and then we'll go to God. And God says, no, 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 that's not the way it works in creation. In creation, the first thing you do is you lay your head on my chest and you listen. And you attach. And from that place of rest, you work. And you give. And you love. And you play. <laughs> so can you rest in what's been created for your good? That's a good word for a first of a year. What needs to, what has gotten turned upside down? So that you find yourself doing exactly the opposite of what God's creation gives us permission to do. And what do you need to do to get it turned back right? He's first. Jesus is Lord. And I get to rest in him. On the night he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread and he gave it to his, he, he gave thanks to it. He gave his father thanks because his father is the one who made this body. And he broke it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken that your body can be whole. I spoke your body into existence. I know how you're made. And I give myself wholly to your wholeness. And after supper, he took the cup. And he gave thanks to his father for it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, take and Drink from this cup, all of you, as often as you drink from this cup. Remember me, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from this cup and live. Eat from this loaf and live. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.